Hello, and welcome back to the Clavio Data Science Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, I hope you enjoy your stay. I'm your host, Michael. If you've listened to the podcast before, you probably recognize my voice. This month, I'm excited to announce that for the first time, I am joined by a co-host, Zach. Zach, could you give us a quick introduction, who you are, what you do on the team, and a little bit about yourself? Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me on the show. I've actually been listening to this podcast since before I joined Clavio, and it was a big part of why I was excited to work here. So I'm thrilled to be here and thrilled to have the chance to join you on the podcast. Now I'm a data scientist here at Clavio, working with our deliverability and compliance team. And recently I've been focused on content moderation, working to prevent spam and other undesirable content from going out through our platform. I'm really excited to be here, so let's get right into it. This month, we're returning to a familiar topic with a new spin. Those of you who've listened to our past episodes on A-B testing know that we've covered the topic in a few ways. We've discussed how to build software to help your customers run A-B tests. We've talked through designing and running a system of A-B tests inside your own product to try to improve customer engagement and outcomes. And we've even brought on Clavio customers to hear in their own words the value that A-B testing has brought them. This probably comes as no surprise to you. Experimental data is, in many ways, the gold standard in data science. Thinking about how to generate high-quality experimental data is important to doing effective data science. But a natural question to ask is, what do you do once you've actually generated that data, once you've actually run a number of A-B tests on your audience? How do you translate data into insight, and how do you translate insight into action. That's exactly what we plan to dive into this episode. This month, I'm welcoming three members of the Experiments Platform team at Clavio. Let's go around to do quick introductions. Who are you and what do you do on Experiments Platform? Let's start with Nick. Thanks, Michael. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm a senior machine learning engineer on the Experiments Platform team at Clavio. I do some engineering work to help build the A-B testing features that we have in our product. And I also work on some of the more research-oriented projects to dig into how our users are engaging with those features and the results they're seeing in their A-B tests. Very nice. Welcome back to the podcast, Woody, as well. Welcome back. Michael, thanks for having me back. As Michael said, I'm, I'm Woody, and I am on the Experience platform as well. I'm a senior machine learning engineer like Nick and also the engineering manager on the team. So quite similar in my responsibilities to what Nick just laid out. Very nice. And for the first time, welcome to the podcast, Justin. Hi, Michael. Thanks. I'm Justin. I'm also on the Experiments platform. I'm a data scientist. And also day-to-day, my responsibilities include engineering and a lot of the research projects. So also pretty similar to Nick. It's one of the fun things about this team. A lot of expertise on a number of different fronts from everyone on the team. So we're going to learn a lot from everyone on this call. Really excited about this. Let's set some context. Before we dive into exactly what you can get out of your A-B test results, for the sake of specificity, since we're talking about Clavio features here, we're talking with a Clavio team, I think we should discuss a little bit of the experience of A-B testing in Clavio itself, just to give us the ground truth of what sort of data you can generate in the first place. At a basic level, how does A-B testing work in Clavio? Sure. So one of the goals of the experiments platform team is to enable our users to be able to run A-B tests across the platform for any type of communication they're sending. I think the simplest example is an email campaign. So let's say that you're a user who's going to send your weekly newsletter email to a list of maybe 10,000 recipients. 
that user can decide to create two completely independent versions of the email and run an A-B test so that 5,000 recipients will get version A and 5,000 recipients will get version B. And then once that campaign gets sent, they can look at the engagement rates for each version of the email independently and understand which performed better. And hopefully that helps them come away with some learnings that they can apply to future campaigns. And because the versions are created completely independently, the users are really able to have full flexibility to test whatever they want. So we see users testing different subject lines against each other. You could test different images in your email body, different send times, different coupons for discounts. So we see our customers come up with some pretty creative tests. And that's email campaigns. We also offer A-B testing for our SMS campaigns, our flows, which are sort of an automated sequence of communications, and our on-site sign-up forms. I guess I'm curious. You listed a lot of different parts of an email, for instance, you know, the subject line, the images, the send times, whether you include a coupon or not. Do we actually see people test with all parts of the email or is it really, this is a tool for subject line testing and you can technically do other stuff? I'd say we definitely see people testing with all parts of the email. The most common is definitely subject line. I think that's just because it's pretty easy to come up with two good copies for your subject line and maybe a little more work to come up with two versions of your design and your email body. But one of the coolest things I see our customers do is they will have like two different themes that they're testing in the two versions of the email. And you might have a subject line and an email body to match in version A, and then a subject line for your theme B, and the email body will match that subject line in theme B. So there's definitely some merit to sort of testing both at the same time if you're going with like testing broader themes as opposed to just testing different types of content. One thing you brought up is that you're able to A-B test kind of across the marketing stack. You brought up emails, you brought up signup forms, and there are others as well. Are there any unique aspects to A-B tests that you run in different areas in the product? Yeah, there's a, a couple of different kinds of A-B tests that happen. And, and also, it depends on the medium. So for instance, if you're testing the on-site signup forms that Clavio provides, you know, there's some subtlety there in terms of how you collect results and how you interpret your results. For instance, one of the things you can test there is how long do you wait before you display a signup form? So maybe one of the variations displays after two seconds of the user being on the page, and another one displays after 45 seconds. It's very possible that your users might not stay on the page for 45 seconds, and so they may never see that signup form. So that's kind of very different in nature from an email, which you can always expect to be delivered, or likewise with an SMS. And then even within the email and SMS paradigm, where you're actually sending something to the customers and are sure that they're always going to see it, Nick mentioned our automated flows that's an offering from Clavio. Those behave differently because those experiments are ongoing. So because you sort of set them up and then they can be triggered, for instance, by somebody adding an item to their cart and then leaving the website and abandoning cart flow, that's going to go on potentially for months and you could run an experiment and continue gathering data. And in theory, you might want to modulate how much traffic you're sending to each variation based on the results that you're getting in real time. Whereas with a campaign, I, I kind of think of it as a flash in the pan. You know, we have an offering where we allow you to bifurcate your audience between the test set and then the rest. And so the rest will get whatever the winner is of the test. And so we have to do some quick analysis after some time period to send to the winning variation. So there's a lot of different parts of baby testing. When you first hear about it, you're like, oh, we're just comparing like one or more variations to each other and seeing which one wins. That sounds pretty simple. I mean, there's some like statistical subtlety, but it's not that hard. But whenever you really think about all the different configurations you might want to have and offering sort of all this flexibility of testing send times, testing content, testing different channels, it can get pretty complex to try to set up a test and know what to test and when to test and how to test. 
Since we have this focus on generating experimental data, I'd actually like to ask a little bit more about that data. Let's say that you wanted to extract the data from an A-B test that you ran in Clavio. So I don't know, maybe you can perform some sort of analysis or you can use it for some sort of other purpose afterwards. What would that data look like? What sort of things would you have access to data-wise from an A-B test here? Yeah, at Clavio, we enabled our customers to track a number of different statistics. And so we also allow them to custom export them using our CSV export functionalities, as well as our custom reporting that we have available. So we allow them to see both their like custom statistics, whether that be the place order the integration that they may have with Shopify or the other vendors, their click rates, their open rates, and then just all the like metadata that's associated. Yeah, we often do see customers run their own analysis by using these exports, whether they have a different methodology that they might use that's different from how we display a winner or some other statistics that might be more important to break down by time that they need to either report to their higher-ups or just for a more thorough analysis. So that is a pretty common use case for Clavio. That actually touches on something else I wanted to quickly just, again, for context for groundwork here, go over this idea of picking a winner. I think all of you have alluded to it. Obviously, you need some sort of method to determine what your winner is. And to have some sort of method, there has to be some sort of statistical consideration. So I'd like to ask a little bit about that. Let's briefly discuss the statistical underpinnings of the A-B tests that get run in Clavio. It's really A-B testing is more of a framework than a recipe. So let's be a little more specific. What sorts of statistical calculations are actually happening under the hood? You know, I think a lot of people, even people who might not be super familiar with statistics, have probably heard of a p-value or statistical significance you absolutely can just look at an audience and run a, a t-test and get a p-value and see, are we hitting that 95% or 90% or however you want to define your confidence interval? But I think that it can be... Again, there's like a lot of subtlety to A-B testing because it's something so easy, but it's also so easy to mess up. And, and as you alluded to, it's a framework. So there's a couple of concerns here. So one is, okay, if there's a 90% chance that your test is showing a real effect compared to having no difference between any of your variations, does that actually mean that it's a good marketing decision to go with it? I mean, there's still a 10% chance in that case that your variations are exactly the same and you can kind of do whatever feels right to you in your gut. Likewise, a lot of tests come back insignificant because customers send to... Especially smaller customers will send to data or send to lists that don't have enough people in them to gather a statistically significant result. And so maybe they'll get a result back and Clavio is telling you, I've got a 70% win rate. From a statistics point of view, you'd be sort of shunned in the community for making a decision based on that because it means you have a 30% chance that there was like no change between any of the variations and your like quote unquote null hypothesis of them being the same is true. But as a marketer and you're like on the fly trying to make the decision, it's probably good to know that you might want to bookmark it in your head to come back and test, but you got to make a decision. You might go ahead and make a decision. Now, in terms of like the actual statistical underpinnings, we don't do something quite as simple as just a simple t-test, especially because marketers tend to want to look at their data. There's this notion of peaking as kind of cheating in statistics because you know if you look at the statistics and you look over time at your results, at some point you're pretty much guaranteed with probability one to cross into statistical significance at some point. And so, you know, the guidelines that people recommend that you set up for saying, like, we're actually just going to run a test for this long before we look when we use a classic t-test p-value kind of calculation, those are there so that you don't cheat yourself. So that you aren't like, oh, I crossed into statistical significance. Now I can stop because that means you could just wait forever until you eventually do that. 
we do a little bit more complex. We what we do is we come up with sort of the Bayesian framework for looking at this. And so what that means is that we have some prior information that we gather from across Playview on each of the different channels, whether it's email, SMS, on-site sign-up forms. And we say, okay, well, in general, we know some prior behavior that our customers exhibit across Playview. And we use that to help not only reduce the amount of information that you need, so you can like reduce the number of people that you send to before we can say with confidence that you have a high win probability, but also because of sort of the particular methods that we use, it can kind of eliminate this peaking because we can actually make it harder to achieve the significance, even though we're reducing the amount of data that you need to achieve quote unquote significance. That was a very long answer, a bit meandering, but hopefully it's helpful. That's really interesting about customers peaking and how human intuition and human processes can run counter to the actual right way of doing things. Were there any other instances where you saw customers doing something that maybe is not the best statistical practice that you had to keep in mind while designing this tool? I just want to jump in quickly and say, it's not just customers that peak. I think as data scientists, we also just want to peak. It's like so hard as a human to not want to look at the results early. Yeah, I think for customers at Clavio also, I think especially since campaigns or email marketing, I guess in general, there can be a lot of like very fast-changing things that need to be addressed, then sometimes it is actually valid to be peaking because maybe the email campaign is being sent out or maybe the, the form is being sent out, but you're just really worried about not really getting the number of conversions that you might need. And so that might be spurring on a particular strategy that you might need to change right on the fly, which is maybe not as prevalent in like other experimental design, like hard science industries. Yeah, I think it is pretty important to be able to have that flexibility, especially in these climates. And it's, it's really, it is a science, but a pretty different science, I guess, from other circumstances. So we've heard a little bit about what A-B tests can do, how it can help users and some of the technical inner workings. But ultimately, this is a tool made for real people to use. And user experience is a very important consideration when designing software. What were some of the UX considerations that went into designing this tool? And how would you describe the experience that you intended customers to have when you design this and the features that are available? Sure. So yeah, at a high level, we want our A-B testing features to enable our users to learn. And so the core experience that I envision is that a user comes up with two versions of communication that they want to test against each other. And there's something specific that distinguishes these two versions that they can identify. So for example, maybe you test two subject lines against each other. They're exactly the same, except one has an emoji at the end. And then you observe the results and see that the emoji version was the winner. And since you're clearly able to point to what the difference was between the two variations, you know that it was the emoji that seems to have had the effect that made one variation more effective than the other. So that's a concrete learning that you can take with you as you're designing your future campaigns. And we definitely recognize that the Clavio users are a wide range of experimenters who have different levels of experience with A-B testing or with statistics. So when we designed our UI, we wanted to make sure we were giving as much guidance as possible to set these users up for success. So one thing we do is in the test setup screen, we provide some statistical guidance to help you choose your sample size. So we tell you whether we think you have low confidence, medium confidence, or high confidence of achieving statistical significance based on the sample size of the number of recipients you're going to have for your campaign. And you can sort of adjust the sample size and see how that confidence level changes. And then once you look at your results, we think a lot about how we're displaying your results and 
giving indications about what you should be taking away from those results. So we display like the win probability and the statistical significance indicator to help the customers understand how meaningful the results they're seeing are and whether they should take them as a true learning or maybe test again. Sometimes if a test result is inconclusive, we might have a banner on the results page that says, hey, you've only achieved you know 75% win probability in this test. So your results are maybe promising, but you might want to run a similar test to see if you can replicate your results. And then if you start to see trends across multiple tests, maybe that's more of a concrete learning that you can confidently take with you as you design your future campaigns. Yeah. In addition to all of the guidance that we offer, I, I think another UX consideration that we really have thought about carefully as we continue to implement A-B testing across the product and improve it is we already talked about how A-B testing is simple, but not really. So there's so many options. So there's sort of two things that we're trying to do pretty intentionally to reduce the mental overhead for anybody setting up A-B tests. One of them is trying to achieve consistency in terms of the user experience as you set up each of the different tests, whether it's for a campaign, for an email or an SMS, soon for flows. Hopefully by the time this podcast is out, flow A-B testing will be in its updated state and likewise for forms. And that goes for the analysis as well. So the analysis page looks the same for all of them. The other kind of major thing that we do is we try to break it down into steps. So you aren't sort of looking at all of these options all at once. We try to set up a user flow such that you're only looking at your content. And then we offer a discrete place to set send times and the test settings kind of walk you through it a little bit so that even though there's actually a lot of decisions you're making, hopefully it doesn't feel like you're making a ton of decisions each time you have to set it up. Interesting. So that tells us how an A-B test works. But obviously, we hope that customers will run more than one test during their time at Klaviyo, and many of them do. What sort of variability do you see in how Klaviyo customers use A-B testing? Well, one thing I can say is that people have different levels of effort that they put into their long-term testing plan. So one thing that Woody's mentioned previously in the conversation is one option you can do with your A-B tests in Klaviyo is you can say, I actually I have my list of 100,000 customers that are going to get my campaign but I only want to include 20,000 of them in my test. 10,000 will get variation A, 10,000 will get variation B. At the end of some test period that the user gets to decide the length, maybe it's six hours, Klaviyo will automatically determine which of those variations perform better. And then that variation gets sent to the remaining 80,000 customers that you held out. And so a lot of customers will just use A-B testing as a way to sort of maximize engagement on an individual campaign. Like I have two ideas for my subject line, They're not really a rigorous test. I couldn't say there's one specific thing that's different about them. They're just like two ideas that I had. And I don't really need to know what's different about them because Klaviyo is automatically going to determine which one's better. And more of my recipients are going to get the better subject line. So I've maximized my opportunity in that campaign. I think other customers are very focused on long-term learnings. So they will max out their sample size. They won't do what I just mentioned. They'll instead send 50% and 50% of their recipients, variations A and variation B. And that way they get a maximum sample size, the highest likelihood of achieving statistical significance. They run a very well thought out test where they can point to what the difference is between the two variations. So that way, when they get a result, they know why one variation was more effective than the other. And they build on that in sort of an iterative process. Like let's say they test a subject line with a heart emoji at the end versus the same subject line with no emoji and the heart emoji version wins. They can then say, okay, I might be onto something. Maybe emojis are effective for my recipients. 
So now I can test different types of emojis. Maybe it's the heart emoji versus the star emoji, or maybe it's the placement of the, the emoji. Do I put it at the beginning or the end of the subject line? And they go through this iterative process. So they're continually improving their engagement rates by getting more learnings and applying those learnings to their future communications. So there you were talking about very small incremental changes, one emoji difference, putting it at the beginning or the end. Earlier, we were talking about testing entire themes, a subject line with an image with a different message body. How do you see customers use this usually? Is it usually some very small change, a single character, a single emoji, or is it often on the whole thematic level? And which of these do you see as more effective? Yeah, we definitely see both. You know, I think it can depend. A small change versus a large change doesn't necessarily mean a more or less effective test. I think the important thing, and this is very, very hard to quantify, is are you testing a single theme and are you actually trying to gain a learning? So, you know, it's possible that, for instance, you just start testing one, one design idea versus another design idea, and there isn't really a clear distinction between them, but it's also very possible that you have an entire email, subject line, hero image, message body, call to action, and coupon or not coupon. And all of this is about offering a discount versus not offering a discount. right? And so even though there's a lot of changes in those emails, you're really testing an idea of, am I offering a discount to my customers in a way that's authentic to our brand? Or am I testing a message that's just trying to tell them about a new product? And which of those has a higher return on investment for our company. I think often with companies that are testing at that level of sophistication, we see that they will run multiple tests sort of confirming this. For instance, you know, if you look into their accounts, we'll see three, four, five, or more tests that are, that are running the same kind of test saying, do these campaigns over and over again show that the discounted version of the email performs better than the non-discounted version of the email? But those same companies also do these single character emoji changes, or maybe slightly more than single character, but you know, just subject line changes. I mean, I think both, like all of these are very important. And as long as you have a really clear vision of what you're testing, it seems like it, it's worthwhile. So this touches on what I want to talk about next, which is that your team has spent a fair amount of time and effort trying to figure out who the top users of A-B testing are and what makes them successful. I wanted to dive into that a little bit. How did you go about defining a top performer? So yeah, recently we decided we wanted to be able to identify our top performing A-B testers. The customers who are getting the most of the A-B testing experience is basically what I mean. So the motivation here is that once we know who is having success with A-B testing, we could analyze their testing strategies, and then maybe we could observe commonalities across all of our top performing customers and point to certain tactics that we could identify as best practices for A-B testing in Clavio. So yeah, we had to define what makes a top A-B tester. And at a high level, a top performing A-B tester is a company that is continually learning and growing as a result of their A-B testing. And that means that they're running frequent tests and that they're getting meaningful results and they can apply those results as winning strategies to future campaigns. And their click rates and engagement rates will continually improve over time as a result. And you might think that the natural thing to do here would be to identify which companies are following this sort of iterative process of testing then applying their winning strategies to future campaigns but it turns out that this is actually a really difficult problem. Let's say, for example, that a user tested a serious subject line against a subject line that included a pun. So we're going to need an algorithm that's able to pick up on the fact that the winning strategy in this test was a pun. And then we need to be able to identify whether puns are being used in subject lines of subsequent campaigns 
And that's really tough, especially when you consider that pun versus no pun is just going to be one of infinitely many test types that a user could potentially run. So instead, we had to do something a little different. And we came up with a scoring system that would score a company on two dimensions, which we call learning and growing. The learning piece means that the company is running frequent tests and getting meaningful results. And the growing piece means that their click rates and other engagement rates are increasing over time. And a company that scores high in both of these categories is one that is doing well to continually improve engagement. And they're also making A-B testing a core part of their overall strategy. And I'm glossing over a few nuances. We've done a lot to refine exactly how we compute learning and growth scores in a way such that the top A-B testers rise to the top. And it's caused us to notice a lot of really cool companies that are doing some really cool things in A-B testing. So growing is obviously something that we want everyone on the Klaviyo platform to do. Even if you're not using A-B testing, we want you to be getting the most out of our products and growing as a business. So how do you untangle the growth that we would naturally see in a customer versus the growth that we're attributing to A-B testing and that sort of progress? Yeah, this is definitely a very difficult problem. I mean, there's also, of course, the natural growth of the company that's like not even attributed to Klaviyo. And so separating all those kind of things is difficult. But of course, there are certain metrics that we can track within Klaviyo to kind of see the general trajectory that is happening. And there's also, I guess, some like denoising that we can try to do in terms of like seasonality and just like trends just uh, throughout the industry. But I think at least for this analysis, we were looking at, yeah, checking for companies that we're having a pretty successful business strategy while also using our product to be able to assist with that. I think, yeah, of course, correlation is not what we're looking for, but I think in some of these cases, then yeah, as long as I guess the bottom line was moving, then it didn't matter, I guess, entirely like how that was attributed to direct interventions that customers are taking uh, due to A-B testing. I guess if the overall arching strategy was being affected by the ways that they run campaigns or the ways that they're running tests, then I think we could see that they were making efforts to improve their business. Cool. Let's get back to the top performers. Do you have any other details on how they A-B test? Are there any common themes that you saw in the ways that they incorporate A-B testing into their overall sending strategy? Yeah, there are a few that stick out to me. One is the concept of sort of non-isolation of individual A-B tests. For the most part, the top performers are not thinking about their tests as isolated tests. They're instead having a more cohesive testing plan, and they're carrying out that plan over the course of multiple campaigns. So as I sort of mentioned, you might have a plan to test emojis, and there's lots of different things you can do with emojis. So you're not just saying, I'm going to test emoji versus no emoji in my subject lines and then be done with it. I'm going to have this cohesive plan of figuring out exactly how I can effectively incorporate emojis into my subject line, into my preview text, or anywhere else in my email communication that it might be appropriate. Another common thing among top performers is running tests that teach them something fundamental about their customers. For example, we have a vegan cosmetics brand that has done this very well, and I'll give an example. Let's say they have a new skin cream and they're announcing in an email campaign that they have this new product. They could have one version of the subject line that says something like, our new skin cream will help your skin stay healthy and young. And another version might say, our new skin cream is 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And the results of this test might imply something about what matters to the customers and what types of content they find engaging. Are they interested in the fact that your products are vegan and want to know more about the making and ingredients of the skincare? Or are they more interested in hearing about the benefits and effects of the product? 
And let's say that the vegan subject line gets 20% more clicks. That might tell us that the customers are really interested in our cruelty-free practices. And maybe that's the core reason they're choosing the brand. And that's an insight that you can apply more broadly, not just in your email campaigns, but maybe in all of your communications with your customers, maybe in your language, in your website, how you're positioning your product. So those types of tests that really get at learning about your customers, I think tend to be really effective. And it's definitely something that we commonly see across our top performing testers. In addition for, I guess, in complement to what Nick was just talking about, we also see that I brought this up already, but they don't just test once. They test that quite a few times. They want to verify that it's not just that one email or that one particular product. You know, they want to see, does this hold true across time? And so they'll run a series of tests. But not only that, maybe after a while, we notice they come back and they'll do spot checks to make sure that whatever trend they think they found several months ago, six months, a year ago, still holds. So, you know, just being curious and verifying and sort of always checking your assumptions over and over again. So Woody, you brought up this idea of trends. We're kind of thinking about trends across multiple tests within a single company. I think there's another way that we can talk about trends. And that's kind of from Clavio's perspective, looking in a very broad sense across the entire customer base. We've actually done that a few times with specifically data from A-B tests. And I wanted to ask a little bit more about that. Researching specific strategies or aspects of a form or an email or an SMS across a large group of customers and seeing what seems to perform best overall. What if we learned from analyses that we've done like that? There's a lot of things. Before I jump into any specifics, I just want to like make it clear for any Clavio customers. We don't share your data between accounts. We do, we do have access to it. And so we like to gain large-scale insights that are sort of... Here are some general tips and some general things that we've learned from customers. You know, But we really do take owned growth, owned data very seriously, even on the data science team. But in terms of the trends that we learn, we've definitely learned that people who A-B test forms tend to have a higher list growth rate than people who don't A-B test forms. I know that's not really saying anything. It's just saying that people who are curious and experiment tend to have better list growth. And I know that we also have learned other things, but I'll, I'll toss it to Nick and Justin to kind of go over some of that. Sure. Yeah. I was actually looking back on some of these analyses in preparation for this podcast. So... We've done an analysis like this on subject line tests and campaigns, and we've definitely seen some trends. Like, for example, when a company does test emoji subject lines versus non-emoji subject lines, the subject line with the emoji often wins. Short subject lines often win out against long subject lines. On the sign-up form side, it's very common to test different form styles. So we offer pop-up forms and fly-out forms in Clavio, and it's very common to test the two against each other. And in one analysis that we did, we found that 72% of the time when the company tested pop-up versus fly-out, the pop-up version won. So there are definitely some trends in the results, but there hasn't been much that has been so consistent that I would think of it as a hard and fast rule. And really my biggest takeaway when we run these types of analysis has been that it's really important to test on your own customers. You have your own unique customer base, and it's important to learn what resonates with them specifically. What might work for some companies doesn't necessarily work for you. We might tell you that emojis are effective in subject lines for 90% of companies, but maybe you're part of that other 10%. So the best way to find out is really just to run tests and learn for yourself. So answering questions like these mean that you look at a truly wide variety of A-B tests. And I'm wondering, what are some of the most unique or funny or memorable tests that you've come across in your time looking at these? I can share one. So one of my favorites is a sign-up form test run by a luggage company. 
And they previously had had a sign-up form on their site that said, if you sign up for our newsletter list, you'll receive a 10% discount on your first order. And they decided to run an A-B test where they introduced a new variation that said, if you sign up for your newsletter for our newsletter list, you'll get a mystery discount on your first order. In this A-B test, the original 10% discount got a 3% conversion rate, whereas the mystery discount got a 7% conversion rate. But you may have guessed that there was actually no difference in the discounts and the mystery discount turned out to be a 10% discount. So I thought that was really cool. A larger theme that I've definitely seen is that our users tend to have great success running A-B tests on their communications about sales and different discount offers. And they tend to learn a lot from these tests. And I think that makes sense because it's often very easy to excite your customers about a sale and they tend to be pretty high engagement campaigns or forms. But this example shows that you don't really even need to offer a larger discount to get more people to engage. Just the way you choose to present the discount can have a huge impact on how successful that campaign is. I love that. The mystery discount. What's more exciting than that? Is there anything else that that anyone has seen that's just surprising A-B test? Something that you didn't expect to see or didn't expect to work, but for some reason it did or, or any weird stories out there? I might not be on the team, but I can chime in real quick. The pun example that you gave, Nick, that actually is one that I've run across in some of the research I've done on this topic. There was a particular company that they sent out a Father's Day campaign and they were testing out kind of a, a normal, we have a Father's Day sale type subject line versus a dad joke in the subject line. And the dad joke absolutely crushed it. It was amazing. All right. So dad jokes and mystery discounts. You, you can't go wrong. All right. So at the end of the day, A-B testing only really delivers on the promise that it makes if you can actually use the insights from A-B testing to make better strategic decisions. And we've heard some about the types of decisions that A-B testing can help you make, but I'm wondering what the data coming out of a test looks like. What are some of the things that you can do with this data that you get out of A-B tests and what form does this data come in? We've kind of alluded to this, all of us, at different points throughout the episode so far, but Having a really clear vision of what it is that you're testing makes it much easier to apply what you learn from that vision or from that test rather. So taking notes, keeping track of your experiments, seeing what's worked on a regular basis, and then applying that to your emails. So I mean, you know, we keep coming back to emojis mostly because they're simple to think about. But if you learn that your audience responds really well to emojis or even a particular emoji, like a heart emoji, use that in every, maybe not every communication, but in a lot of your communications and the ones that you think are important. And go back and test that again so that if you sort of oversaturate people with the heart emoji, you can sort of monitor that every couple of months. The thing that customers who are not as high on our top performers score tend to do is they'll test something, they'll learn something from that campaign, and then they'll move on and you don't really see it again throughout their account. So whatever it is, test for a reason and then use the results of that test. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think When we're thinking about strategy, I'm curious what you described as largely, I would kind of describe it as insight gathering. Are there any other strategic and here I'm kind of thinking, are there anything outside of the box here? Any other strategic applications you've thought of for the data that you get from A-B testing other than basically insight gathering and using those insights to inform you moving forward? I mean, you can also use this data to figure out what to test next. I think Nick alluded to this a little bit with some of the top performers saying, and again, sorry for using emojis as every single example here, but you do the emoji versus non-emoji tests. And then you test, you find that emojis perform better. So you're like, oh, let's try another test to try to sort of refine this. So it could be information gathering so that you can 
try out new hypotheses and generate new ideas. The more experimental you can be, the more creative you can be, the more you can learn about your customers to really deliver authentic experiences and, and see return on your investment. So let's say that I'm a marketer looking to improve how I use A-B testing. I've run a couple of tests and I know how to use the product, technically speaking, but I'm not sure how to think about this all bigger picture. What's one piece of advice that you would have for me? I think one piece of advice I would give is talk to your peers, get inspired by what other people are doing. I think one of the hardest parts about A-B testing is just coming up with ideas of what to test. Like You might think that you've tested everything once you've sort of exhausted your list of different phrasings you can use for your subject line or different emojis you can test. But really, so many people are doing so many creative things. We offer a feature within Clavio called Showcase, where we showcase some of the highest performing campaigns that our users have run. And I personally have found that very inspiring, just looking at all of the creative copy and ways that people present discounts or ways that people showcase their product within an email body. There are really, of course, are endless possibilities for what you can do in any type of communication. So just sort of getting a sense of what other people have tried and iterate yourself. If you're a marketer, talk to your peers within your company, test your crazy ideas because you never know what might work as we saw with like the mystery discount. That's sort of an out-of-the-box idea, but it turned out to be a great win. Okay. That's excellent advice for any marketers out there listening to this podcast. And hopefully everyone else listening to this podcast has learned a lot about A-B testing and using A-B testing data. So I want to give one more thank you to the members of the Experiments Platform team for jumping on today. Thank you, Nick, Woody, and Justin. It was a pleasure having you on and, and learning about A-B testing from you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Michael. And Zach. Thanks. This episode of the Clavio Data Science Podcast was sponsored by Clavio as are all episodes of the Clavio Data Science Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Clavio, we are a unified customer platform for email, SMS, and more. We empower online brands to own their data and grow on their own terms. You can learn more at Clavio.com. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com. If you liked what you heard on this episode, then please subscribe. You can subscribe to this podcast basically everywhere that you can find this podcast or everywhere that you get your podcasts from. So please do so. Please also consider giving us a rating or leaving us a review. All of that helps us in the algorithm so that more people can hear episodes just like this. And you know what really helps other people hear episodes just like this? Sharing directly with them. If you have a friend, a colleague, a coworker, a family member, anyone else that you think might be interested in hearing the content that you heard on this episode, go ahead and share this episode directly with them. If you have any questions, the best place to reach me is my Twitter account, the best person to reach is me. That is Lawson underscore M underscore T. That's L-A-W-S-O-N underscore M underscore T. Thank you for listening. Have a great month. <laughs>